Well, good morning and um, welcome again to the vineyard for our Easter service. I don't know if um, you might have come to one of our events at Christmas, but along with Easter, they are, of course, the two big dates in the Christian calendar. At Christmas, we think about Jesus as a baby, and at Easter, we think about Jesus as a man, and especially his death and resurrection. So we're going to think a bit more about Jesus together this morning. Now, one of the things about Jesus is that he was always asking people questions. You'd kind of think that the Bible would be all about Jesus offering lots of answers to this, that, and the other. That's kind of what you would think. But a lot of the time, what we find is that it's Jesus asking the questions. So just in the Gospel of Mark, just one of the accounts that we have of Jesus' life, there are 67 events in his life in which there is some sort of conversation going on. And in 50 of those 67, we find Jesus asking questions. And if you ask me which is the most important question that Jesus asked people, it's probably this one. It's in Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Which is a bit of an academic question, isn't it? Because you don't even need to know someone particularly to be able to answer that. But then Jesus follows up with another question, which is probably the one that he was really interested in. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? As they say in that unforgettable phrase from that otherwise completely forgettable film, Jaws 4, The Revenge, (laughs) this time it's personal. (laughs) Who do you say that I am? You see, who do people say I am doesn't require us to do anything, does it? That's just conversation. It's always interesting to know what people think, but at the end of the day, so what? I mean, who really cares? But who do you say I am takes things to another level entirely, doesn't it? I mean, this time it is personal. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then it definitely would need us to do something about it. C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, he said the most foolish way for anyone to answer that question is to say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept he was God. That, said Lewis, is the one thing we can't say. He went on, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. I'm not so sure about the poached egg bit. I quite like poached eggs as it happens. But who am I to second guess the great C.S. Lewis? 
Now, Lewis wasn't brought up as a Christian. He became a Christian in his early 30s. And interestingly, the person who was instrumental in that was his great friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. It happened after they'd spent a whole evening discussing Jesus, and then the following morning they happened to be driving to Whipsonade. Lewis said, When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. I gave in, admitted that God was God, and knelt and prayed. Now, Lewis was a a great academic. He taught at both Oxford and Cambridge. But he knew that he couldn't get away with just answering this question, who do people say I am? Because he knew that the real question was, who do you say I am? So I suppose the first question that everybody has about Jesus is whether he really existed or whether he's just an urban legend like Robin Hood and King Arthur. And that's actually a very easy question to answer because there is no doubt that Jesus was a real-life historical person. If we ignore the biblical writers, there's at least 19 pagan authors from that time who mention him in their writings. The best-known examples are the Roman historian Tacitus and the Jewish historian Josephus. Professor Richard Burridge, who's the Dean of King's College London, where I did my PhD, he says this, There are those who argue that Jesus is a figment of the church's imagination, that there never was a Jesus at all. I have to say that I don't know any respectable critical scholar who says that anymore. Within 150 years of Jesus' life, 42 authors mention him. During that same period, only 10 authors mention Tiberius Caesar, who was the Roman emperor. But no one seriously doubts that he was a real person. There's also more documentary evidence that Jesus existed than for Alexander the Great. Everything we know about him comes from five authors, none of whom were eyewitnesses, And the main account of his life was written 400 years after. But no one seriously doubts that Alexander the Great was a real person either. So if we're willing to accept the evidence of the historical scholars who have no vested interest in the outcome, we have to start with the fact that Jesus did exist. So the only question is, who was he? Was he the Son of God? Did he come into this world and die on the cross to show us how much God loves us so that through Jesus we could know God personally in our lives and one day share in his resurrection? So imagine that Jesus is here now and he's asking each of us that question. Who do you say that I am? You know, it's interesting that the opinion polls always say that the majority of people believe that there's a God in one form or another. There was a recent YouGov survey for the Times, and that survey found that it's as many as two out of three people. But the surprising thing to me is how many people just stop at the believing and don't actually think about it any more than that, who don't actually do anything about it. I was a a bit like that myself. I grew up in a home where my mum and dad believed that there was a God, but they never did anything about it. 
we never went to church. And even though at school we had assembly where we sang hymns and read out prayers, I never really thought about what relevance God had to my life. And then later when I was at grammar school, I remember doing two years of RE lessons, religious education as it was called in Victorian times. But to be honest, I never really understood a word of it. It was a little bit like history, but without having any idea who the characters were, and none of whom, interesting, none of whom seemed to have a surname, like Moses and Paul and Abraham and so on. I can remember the RE teacher who we called Doc Palm, presumably because he had a PhD, and I remember him drawing these uh, maps of the Middle East on the blackboard. And I had absolutely no idea why. Or why these people's journeys from this place to that place should be of any interest. They certainly weren't to me. But you know, no one ever talked about who Jesus was. Or why he came and why he died on the cross. And how that had anything to do with knowing God personally today. If I'd been asked to take part in one of those YouGov polls, I would have said, I believed in God. But it never occurred to me that there was anything I should do because of that. It just seemed like I should kind of park it to one side until nearer the end of life, which obviously I didn't expect to be any time soon. I just assumed, without really thinking about it, that it wasn't actually relevant until you died. I don't know if any of you are the same as me, but because I believed in God, even though I didn't really know the first thing about him, I just assumed that when it came to heaven and hell, which was the only thing I thought was relevant about believing or not believing to do with my life at the time, I just assumed that somehow, because I believed God existed, it would all kind of be okay. I assumed that at the pearly gates, St. Peter would have some kind of barcode scanner and he would read my mind and know that I believed in God. And that scanner would make a kind of pingy noise and there'd be a green tick on the screen and I'd be allowed in. Just because I believed that there was a God. And because, of course, to my mind, at least, I wasn't a really bad person. But it's it's funny, isn't it, how we tend to judge other people by their actions, by what they do, but we always judge ourselves by our intentions. And I probably would have carried on like that for many years if I hadn't run into someone I knew from school in town one day. Uh, We weren't friends as such. I always thought that he was a bit of a nerd. Whereas I was a kind of hippie. Seriously cool, in other words. Uh, In my own mind, I still am seriously cool. (laughs) That wasn't a joke. That was a... <laughs> anyway, um, his name was Mark, and he asked me if I'd like to go to a Christian music concert at the Albert Hall with a group from his church. And to this day, I have no idea why I said yes. It would have been seriously bad for my street cred if any of my hippie friends had seen me with Mark. But in any event, I did. I suppose God was in it. So we went in a coach with a bunch of his friends and 
Even before we got there, I noticed two things about this group of people. One was how happy they were, even though there was no booze or drugs available. And the other was that they talked about Jesus as if he was a real live person. And they weren't being weird about it. They just talked about the Bible and praying and knowing God like a friend. Not just when you die, but now. Billy Graham, who passed away just recently, Billy Graham used to say that inside every person there is a God-shaped space, a place inside us that only God can fill. And that if we try to fill that space with other things, that it just doesn't work. Because if he's not there, then whatever else we fill our lives with, we will always feel an emptiness. And it looked to me like this group of people, this group of Christians, had filled that space. Now, when it came to the concert itself, I remember thinking that the music was pretty bad. Now, that's coming from someone who only liked rock music, so I found it all a bit twee, if you know what I mean, except for the main act, who was a guy called Larry Norman, and I thought he was really good. And not only were his songs good, he was the only one who looked normal. (laughs) By which I mean, who looked like me. And funnily enough, uh, soon after that UK tour, uh, he became a founder member of the very first Vineyard Church in Los Angeles. And you know, his lyrics kind of got me thinking that evening. I remember one song was called, Why Don't You Look Into Jesus?, And that was the first time that it ever occurred to me that there was anything I needed to look into. I couldn't believe that in two years of RE lessons, no one ever told me why Jesus came into this world and died on a Roman cross and rose again from the dead. Now, of course, I do know why. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And he didn't just mean when you die. He meant now as well. So after that evening, I started hanging out with this group a little bit. Uh, I had lots of questions, and to be honest, not all of their answers made a lot of sense. But I did start to get it. And the thing that really surprised me was that they said I needed to become a Christian. If I wanted to know God personally and have him be involved in my life and know him as a heavenly father, And as a friend, then I had to ask him into my life. Up until then, I thought it was all about just believing that there was a God. And that because God knew everything, then somehow he would know that I wasn't too bad a person underneath. So he would somehow see me all right when it came to heaven. I hadn't realized that I actually had to do something. And that whether I was good or bad in whatever measures, really wasn't the point because it was all about something that Jesus had done. But something inside me kept resisting this idea of asking him into my life. It's probably because I was too proud or maybe just too embarrassed to actually allow someone to pray with me. So whenever it came up in conversation, I would always put it off and put it off. And I don't want to over-dramatize this, especially if you don't believe in a personalized evil called the devil. But it was as if some kind of force 
would do anything to keep me procrastinating and never getting around to having someone pray with me and pray that prayer. So I kept putting it off for whatever reason. There's a Bible verse that I later discovered that says this. The God of this world, the devil, in other words, he blinds people's minds so they can't see it and they don't get it. It was as if this Satan person really did not want me to be praying that prayer. Even though the reality was that I didn't need to keep on thinking about it. I was already at a place where I needed to just do it. So to cut a long story short, I did exactly that. I asked someone to lead me in a prayer, um, a little bit like a vicar does when you get married, you know, say after me, um, because I had no idea what to pray. And obviously I wanted to make sure that I got it right, that I said the right thing to make sure that this prayer was going to work. And I haven't got time to go into it all now, but my life completely turned around. I felt this incredible sense of joy and peace and presence of God that really wasn't coming from me. And I know this is a corny old phrase, but it literally felt as if I'd been born again, that I was a brand new person. Later, I also found out there's a Bible verse that says exactly that. When someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person inside. They're not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Now, to be honest, I don't think my nerdy friend Mark ever really expected this to happen. I don't think, knowing me a little bit, that he had enough faith to believe that it could happen. And the funny thing is, you know, when it came to it, he didn't really play any part in it. It was actually other people who answered my questions and prayed with me. But it never would have happened if Mark hadn't invited me. Now, life didn't suddenly become easy, but what did change, and I knew it had changed, and it changed quite dramatically, was that that God-shaped space had been filled up, and it felt like it was overflowing. I just knew that God was with me. It was kind of like he'd been outside my life, but now he'd come in. So I had this awareness of his love and his presence. So I wonder whether any of that, any of my story resonates with you a little bit. I wonder where you feel that you're at on that kind of journey. Maybe you're at the point that C.S. Lewis got to when he said, I gave in, admitted that God was God, and knelt and prayed. And maybe you know that that is what you need to do. Maybe you've been doing what I was doing and putting it off. So if that is you, then we would love the chance in a moment to have someone pray with you and uh, before you have to go this morning. Or maybe you're at the point where I was when I believed in God but I didn't realize I needed to do something about it to have him be involved in my life. That just vaguely believing God exists wasn't enough. That I needed to drop my pride and become a Christian by asking someone to pray with me. 
Again, if that's you and you know you need to ask Jesus into your life, then we'll give you the chance to do that in just a moment. Or maybe you're just at the very start of a journey. Maybe you've just started to become intrigued by all this Jesus stuff and these Christians and this weird place called the vineyard. And you've just become intrigued by what these people seem to have found in their lives. And you realize that Jesus is saying to you, just as he says to every single one of us, who do you say that I am? And you know that you ought to do something about it and find out. Now, if that is you, then I'd like to tell you about a really easy way you can do that. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to listen to me every week. You're allowed to ask questions. You're invited to say what you think. And people will be genuinely interested in what you think. And no one will try and correct you or give you a hard time. And it kicks off with a free meal every week as well. So you don't even have to think about having dinner first. What's not to like? It's called Alpha and it's starting here on Thursday evenings in two weeks' time. So take a little look at this. As a kid, I was really worried about fitting in and it became a common theme of my life. I was really worried whether I'd have the right clothes or haircut or bag. And I loved to sing as part of a choir, but I started to think that maybe it wasn't cool and it would stop me from making friends. So I quit in the hope that it would help me to fit in. My best friend from school invited me along to Alpha and I really wanted to know if I could experience what she had. She'd found security and identity and acceptance and I really wanted that for myself. My parents don't go to church, but I'd grown up in a faith school, so I'd never not believed in God, but I'd never grasped that it was something that could be relevant to my life. I had a vague idea of what Alpha would be like. I knew that we would have a meal, we would talk about faith and discuss things, and that I could ask questions and say anything. By the third week of Alpha, my view of Jesus had completely changed. It blew my mind that I could be so accepted and loved, and a peace came over me like I've never experienced. It gave me the information I needed to make an informed decision about what I thought about my faith, while giving me the space and freedom to ask questions about the things I didn't understand or didn't agree with. Since trying Alpha, I've invited some of my friends to come along and try it for themselves. It's a great opportunity to meet new people, to learn more, and to just work out what you really think. Hello. Um, there is less than three weeks to go now until Alpha starts here at Ellsbury Vineyard, and we are really, really excited. For anyone who hasn't heard of Alpha before, it's a 10-week course where you can come along and learn more about God and faith. It's a really chilled-out and non-embarrassing environment where you are invited to discuss different topics and um, to ask really any and every question that you have. And Alpha really is for everybody. So whether you are someone who is perhaps visiting church for the first time today or are somebody who's been attending a church regularly for years, um, that's fine. If you have questions <coughs> sorry, and would like to explore faith more, then um, Alpha is for you, and we'd love to have you there. 
Yeah, so we're having a uh, taster session here at the Vineyard on Thursday the 19th of April um, at 7.45. You are all invited. Um, and then the course starts uh, the following Thursday, um, details of which you can find in the Vineyard Life magazine, or you can see in the uh, invites that you have on your seats or the free literature stand in the entrance hall. Um, if you have any questions about Alpha, just find someone who's wearing a, a red T-shirt and we'll be happy to answer your questions. And if you want to sign up, then there is a stand outside in the cafe during the break. Um, and also you can uh, sign up uh, on the website uh, following the URL that's on the invitation. Uh, yeah, we're really excited about Alpha and we really hope that you guys are excited and we can't wait to see what God is going to do for us. Thank you, guys. Brilliant. Oh, and of course, I'm not sure if they mentioned it or not, or I mentioned it, but it's completely free. There's no, no charge for it at all. That's just our way of blessing people who would like to find out more about Jesus.